Hello, it's just me, your friendly neighborhood podcaster, here to apologize to you for the extreme lateness of this episode. This was supposed to be out last week, but due to life and, yes, a little bit of laziness, it is a week late. This is not the only episode that will be coming out this week. We are going to be recording an episode covering the Oscars, which just happened, which will be out in the middle of the week. And we also have another episode uh, where we went to see the movie Annihilation and we talk about it. So this is going to be a full week of podcasts. But for now, please enjoy last week's episode. (laughs) We're recording Woo! in the the fucking tirade of yay the the, the oh the techocal the techopolip techopolip apoc- uh, yeah the techoc <laughs> the techoc <laughs> apocalypse techocalypse techocalypse the techocalypse that should be a that should be a TV show techocalypse yeah so yes the the techocalypse continues yay and everything sucks. Uh, and yes. uh, I want to kill myself. The question is, do you want to suck yourself? Because you said everything sucks. So do you do you want to suck yourself? I could suck myself off while killing myself. That'd be interesting. Yes. Like and I've I, always said, if you're going to kill yourself, make it entertaining or funny for everybody else. Can, can I watch? Yes. Okay. Are you going <laughs> to masturbate onto me while I do it? Only if you want me to. Please. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what we're even talking about anymore. Let's get this shit show on the road. Uh, Welcome to our lives. Uh. Hello and welcome to the Watts Podcast, the official Watts Podcast. I'm Devin. I'm Carson. And if my voice sounds like ass, it's because I just spent the past two hours screaming into a microphone while we recalibrated the equipment. Also, we're not sure if we recalibrated it too well. Yeah, so so if this whole episode sounds like ass, now you know why. And you're just going to have to fucking deal with it because I'm done. I'm just done with everything. Hey, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, except post is me. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. Which means I'll fix it in post. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. That's what I said. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fuck you, fuck everything, yeah. fuck everybody. I hate everything. Yeah, we're we're both feeling that from a long time away from this. Yeah, well, because well, everything long, No, <laughs> we recorded last week. Right, we did. We yeah. just didn't record on Sunday, technically. Right, which is we, when we recorded. Right. Um it's just it's been just a fucking clusterfuck of broken shit and our schedule is all up in the air now because everything's broken and we're both dealing with shit and I'm trying to fucking fix everything and just yeah ah. and my end's gone pretty fucked too and a lot of it's outside of what I can fix for me I basically just have to ride the wave you know and see what happens it's not too different for me like I I mean all I can do is fiddle with things and hope that something I do fixes it. Yeah, I can't even do that, though, really. Because me fiddling with stuff for me will just end up fucking it up even more. That's pretty much how my life goes, too, though. So uh, I just want to hide in my room and just, like, do a lot of crack. Oh, after this podcast, I'm going in my room and I'm going to smoke an entire pound of crack (laughs) 
and then shoot an entire gallon of heroin, and then I'm just going to sit in my room and not worry about anything. Yeah. Because I'd be dead. Can I join you? Yes. Okay. We'll do this. We'll do this together. We ride together. We die together. <laughs> Brothers for life. Fuck yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. Okay. Totally brightless. Yeah. But let's let's get off of the depressing. What are we getting off on? My life. Oh, all right. Let's get off of this depressing bullshit and actually start talking about some stuff. Yay. So, what have you been watching this week? Oh, we're starting with me. Yes, yes, we are. All right, I watched Bloodsport. Is the first movie. I have no idea what that is. You texted me about it, but I have yes. no idea what it is. I texted you because I learned they made apparently four of them. Which I didn't know what, why that was interesting because I have no idea what Bloodsport is. Bloodsport is a martial arts tournament movie about an American soldier played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh my fucking God. You're, you've lowered yourself to watching Van Damme movies yes. now. But hey, this movie's good. Oh my God. It's about him secretly going to Hong Kong for a martial arts tournament which people can get seriously injured or die in. While he's journeying there, two federal officers have followed him to try and, you know, bring him back. And uh those federal agents were played by Norman Burton and Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. Why the fuck is Forrest Whitaker in a Van Damme movie? Because Forrest Whitaker's in fucking everything. (laughs) Like, that's something I've noticed watching... He's not usually in B-movies, yeah. though. Bloodsport isn't really much of a B-movie. I guess I'd have to see it, but everything yeah. that I've seen Van Damme in has just been, like, a shitty action B-movie. This movie was one of the kicking-off points for Van Damme's B-action movie stint, I guess if you could call it. Stint? <laughs> His entire career yeah. after the 80s. I mean... When I think Van Damme, I put him in the same category as, like, fucking Chuck Norris, you know, or... He was essentially Chuck Norris of the 90s, I guess. Yeah, or... Because that's when he was in all those shitty B-action movies. Yeah, what was the other one? Uh... The Quest. What? The Quest. No, the, oh, the other actor. Actor? Schwarzenegger? No. <laughs> I don't know. Schwarzenegger. What are you talking about? The the other, like, shitty Chuck Norris-esque B-movie actor that's just sort of... Sh- oh, Steven Seagal. Yeah, Steven Seagal. I remember. Like, when, okay, when I think of... Who the fuck were you talking about? Jean-Claude Van Damme. When I think of Jean-Claude Van Damme, I put him in there with, like, Steven Seagal and Chuck Norris and all of those, like, B-movie, B-action stars. Yeah. Okay, for that, for Van Damme, that didn't start till the 90s. Because he was in, like, three movies in the 80s, from what I remember, including Bloodsport being the last one he did in the 80s before he shifted over to that B-action movie. He was also in fucking Fucking Kickboxer. What what was it, like, Rocky (laughs) 4 or was it 3? Rocky, I think it was 4. Whatever. It was either, yeah, it was was 4, I think. Whatever, so tell me about Bloodsports. All right, I'll start off with... Based on a true story, supposedly. Okay. I say supposedly because the person's real. The person that supposedly said this is real. Mm-hmm. And he claims that the this tournament was real, that he took part in it, and that he's taken part in quite a few tournaments like this. The tournament is called the Kumite. Okay. So nobody except for the person that this is based on 
seems to think that this tournament's real and no one else has come forward that can collaborate that, that they've taken part in it. <laughs> Convenient. So everybody seems to think it's fake. Mm-hmm. It, it's fascinating. It's probably fake. But if you take that aspect away, you know, it doesn't devalue the movie. Uh, it is also one of the only films to be shot inside of the Kowloon walled city before it was demolished between 93 and 94. Which, the for people who don't know, the Kowloon Walled City was an old, very large Chinese military fort that was repurposed into sort of, I guess, a ghetto in a way. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you know, huge fucking rows of apartments, buildings, and there was basically no government there. Hmm. Now, it was eventually demolished in 93, 94, but it's one of the very, very few movies to be shot there. There is one other interesting fact about this movie. It's the movie that inspired the Mortal Kombat series. Hmm. Yep. Mortal Kombat was intended to be a licensed game based on Bloodsport, but they could not secure the rights to the movie name and Jean-Claude Van Damme's likeness. Mm -hmm. So instead they went with Mortal Kombat, including more fantasy elements in Goro, Shang Tsung, Scorpion Sub-Zero. better off. Yes. And... That's also part of Johnny Cage's character in that he was supposed to be Jean-Claude Van Damme, but they turned him into sort of a parody of Jean-Claude Van Damme. The next thing I watched is very different from Bloodsport. It's Bad Taste. Okay. It's Peter Jackson's first film. Right, yes. Which I have not seen. I'm not a big fan of Peter Jackson's early career. Yeah. I know a lot it's of people are. It's a lot are, of B movies. So. Well, it's a lot of like cult splatter, style yeah. splatter movies. Yeah, yep, B splatter Which, movies. To be fair, I am a fan of. Mm-hmm. I just don't really like Peter Jackson's take on the genre. I guess yeah. I don't know. I find a lot of his earlier movies kind of grating and awkward. I don't know. I like them. I think they're very well done. I think they deserve a place, you know, high up on the ranks of B films. I'll I'll but, take uh, uh, I'll I'll take Evil Dead over yes. <laughs> over all of his early work. Yeah, well, it's hard to beat Evil Dead. <laughs> so, so shall I tell the people a little bit about Bad Taste? Cause sure. For my knowledge, pretty much nobody knows this movie exists. I'm sure most people have seen the cover. Probably. It just is ignored the, it. Yes, it's the alien with the AK-47 uh, giving the middle finger. Yeah. I, if you look up. The movie, I'm sure most of you will have seen the cover at some point somewhere. Yes, especially if you're older than 25. Yeah. So it's a black comedy splatter film, as we've said, about a group of alien hunters that are investing a town that's disappeared that they believe is due to an alien invasion. From there, the aliens chase them around. There's a lot of gory death scenes, and one of the main characters falls off a cliff and then gets back up and puts his brain back in his head. <laughs> Anytime that this character is on screen, it's like one big slapstick comedy after another where it's like his head split open, and so he has to find stuff to put on his head to keep his head from falling apart. Okay, I, I just want to point out to anybody <laughs> listening, this is the man that they gave... Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, too. Yes. You can accomplish anything. All yeah. right? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> they looked at this movie and was like, nah, I believe in that guy. <laughs> yes. Like, this is one of the things it, with this character specifically 
just every time he's on the screen, something ridiculous happens. That's pretty much what you need to know that the movie's about. You just It's one of those movies where you kind of have to watch it to believe it. Because it just gets more ridiculous and more ridiculous as it goes along. Well, it's that 80s-style B-weirdness where yes. it's, it's just like, let's go as far as we fucking can and be entertaining with it. Yes. Yeah. It was shot on weekends over a period of four years with all of Peter Jackson's friends playing the roles, of course. Sounds about right. Near the end of that four-year period, the New Zealand Film Commission gave him money to finish the movie because Peter Jackson funded all himself mm-hmm. up to this point. They give him the money to finish after being impressed from the footage that he showed them. All the dialogue was done ADR because the 16-millimeter camera did not have the ability to do sound recording, and they didn't have like uh, any microphones to record the sound on location with. So we're already well ahead of Peter Jackson. Yep. I feel good about this. So all of the firearms in the film are replicas. He made built by, them out of PVC, right? He built them out of aluminum, PVC, yeah. wood, whatever he could get his hands on. And all of them look fucking great, to be honest. I haven't seen this movie, yeah. so I'll take your word for it. Yep. To make them look like they work, the actors took the replica guns and shook them. To make him look like recoil. Well, that's what they did in Tremors, too. Yeah. Added the muzzle flash and all the effects yeah, later, if like you, bullets. If you go look at the scene in stuff. Tremors where the uh, Graboid breaks through the the basement wall, yep. and they're just down unloading. there unloading. Like, yeah, they're just jiggling the, the fucking props uh, and then just added the sound effects. Yeah. yeah. I find it hilarious, though, with this film, because it's obvious, because it's so overblown. Oh, where they just, like, way overdo the recoil? Yeah, they were just... (laughs) It has a charm to it, is the thing. Like, it sounds like I'm making fun of it, Mm -hmm. but there's a charm to it where it's like, yeah, that's an 80s B movie, and I love it. Mm. All right, next, we're moving on to another movie, and the last movie I watched. Meet the Feebles, which Mm -hmm. is another Peter Jackson film. It's his second film. The way I describe it is very simple. Muppets swearing, having sex, and doing heroin. Okay. It's just as it sounds, too. All the characters are either puppets or actors in suits. There are no human characters. Interesting. Uh, So this uh, film was shot with a standard 16-millimeter color film with an aspect ratio of 4 by 3. Well, of course, it's 16-millimeter. Yep. So if you ever see a movie shot on 16-millimeter like Hurt Locker and it's widescreen, it's because it Mm -hmm. was matted. 16-mil is always a 4 by 3 aspect ratio natively. Yes. I mean, to be fair, you do lose resolution when you do that. Yep. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about Matt, because I love 16 millimeter film. Yep. But I hate full screen, like, 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Yep. So it's always like a, ah, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that, both of these movies never came to Blu-ray. They maxed out on DVD. Does not surprise me. Yep. Oh, my God. There are so many movies that we've just lost to DVD. In fact, for the longest time, they weren't available on DVD. Out of print or just they never They weren't put on it. VHS was what they were released on. Back in the day, Peter Jackson hadn't bothered to bring it Mm -hmm. to DVD. You know, when DVD was getting really popular in the 90s, he, it wasn't till the mid-2000s, 2005 or 2006, that he brought it to DVD. Was it ever on Laserdisc? 
Mm, I believe Bad Taste was. I don't think Meet the Feebles was. Okay. There's quite uh quite a good amount of violence in this movie, including weapon violence. And in this movie, there's an M60 machine gun that's used. And the producers for the movie could not find blanks for this gun. So, so they in used all the, live rounds? In all the scenes, they fired live ammunition on set. Nice. I yep. respect that. A lot of Muppets died that day. <laughs> all right, that's all I've got for what I watched. What have you watched? So I've watched a few things. I'm going to just sort of um, blaze through three of them here. All right. So I watched The Wolf of Wall Street, which is a movie that I've seen many times before, but this time I watched it with my mom, who had not seen it before. And for those who don't know? Um, basically, the entire movie is copious amounts of drug abuse, copious amounts of sex and nudity, and copious amounts of swearing. Yes. <laughs> and the movie is a true story about, I forget what his fucking name is. But Jordan something. Yeah. It was like Jordan Belford or something Belf- like Yeah, Belford. Um, he was he was basically the face of Wall Street, and he, let's just say, did not play it a hundred percent legally. Nope. And uh, for people who don't know, penny stocks were basically stocks you sold for pennies for companies that you know either didn't exist or were like, you know, the fucking dude in his mom's backyard. Right, they were the shitty companies that sold for shitty prices, but yes. the commission fee on them was 50%, whereas the commission on a blue stock, which is something like Microsoft or whatever else, is only 1%. So there was a much higher profit margin selling these penny stocks, so they would just— They abused the fuck out of them. They sold them by the yeah. thousands. Anyway, so that's what the movie's about. In short, it's there's a lot more going on than that. It's yes. a fucking three-hour movie. It it's, is a great yeah. movie, by it the way. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio and is directed by Martin Scorsese. Yes, it's a great movie. Go watch it. But I watched it with my mom, which if anybody has seen the movie should realize why that's funny. I will say she enjoyed it more <laughs> than I kind of expected her to. She liked Leo in it because, yeah. I mean, she loves Leo. but Everybody loves Leo. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. That was fun. I love watching that movie, and it was hilarious watching it with my mom. Yes. Because every time, cause, God, there's so many just like full frontal nudity. Yes. And it, it, <laughs> whatever that comes up. <laughs> but it held my mom's attention. Like, <laughs> normally when I watch a movie with her, she's just like her face buried in her fucking phone while she plays she, one of her mobile games. She's uh, one of them, them new millennials where they're just old people who pretend to be millennials. Pretty much. Uh, but this one, no, she she actually looked at the movie the whole time <laughs> like a normal <laughs> human being. So that was fun. Yep. So the next movie that I watched, I watched with Francisco, and it was called Eon Flux. Oh, you watched Eon Flux. It was fun. on. Yeah. So <laughs> it was on Netflix. We were looking for a shitty movie to watch to make fun of, and that's exactly what we got. Yep. Eon Flux. I won't even try to explain the story to you because there's barely a story in it, and I don't even remember <laughs> what it is at this point because the movie sucks. But what I will say about it is it is the quintessential early 2000s, what I call tough girl movie, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you had Electra, you had Domino, you had... Um, Tomb Raider, like all of those early 2000s tough girl movies 
Eon Flux <laughs> is the quintessential worst part of every one of them, and that's Eon Flux. Like, the worst, cheesiest fucking story on the planet, horrible dialogue, horrible acting, fucking retarded, futuristic setting that makes no goddamn sense, yep. cool for the sake of cool, that ends up just being lame. Well, that's, I mean, that's all I have to say about that. It was trash. Yep. <laughs> so, moving on, we watched another movie that was on Netflix. I think it's a Netflix original. It's called The Ritual. Don't know it. It was okay. <laughs> it's, about, <laughs> it's about a group of friends who go out into the woods and spooky stuff happens to them. Whoa, never seen that story before. No. Uh, they basically run into a cult that try to sacrifice them to their god. It was okay. I mean, that sounds about right, you know. I mean, it was kind of shot well enough. That's why we watched yeah. it, uh, because the cinematography in it looked sort of like a cut above your standard sort of. Uh, but watching it, it wasn't really. It was just sort of shot on a better camera. Mm. <laughs> it's about it. The acting was bland. The story was bland. The dialogue was bland. Seems about right. And that's why I thought it was worth talking about on this podcast. I mean, so to be honest, I think most of the movies that we end up watching and coming back with are movies that were like, yeah, that was kind of shit, but we watched it anyways. I know. I told you like it was like last week or the week before or whatever where, where I was like, I know it sounds like we hate movies, but trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We just managed to always watch the shitty ones. Well, uh, my next movie- was not a shitty movie. Also, and Wolf of Wall Street was not a shitty movie. No, Wolf of Wall Street is a great movie. Yes. So my next movie is It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Yay! Which I watched for the very first time, and I liked it more than I thought I would. Yes. It's long as fuck. It, uh, the, uh, we watched the Roadshow version, which is about <laughs> four hours long. <laughs> All right. Uh, Have you seen the Roadshow version? No. Okay. We watched the Roadshow version. It's about four hours long. Holy Jesus, God. Was it long? <laughs> yeah, four and, hours. And, well, But, I mean, Lawrence of Arabia is four hours long, too. But it, it pulls you through it, right? Yeah. It's Mad, 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 Mad World was... Honestly, the longer it went on, the more into it I got. Because the first 20 minutes, half hour, were so fucking dull and boring. I was... If I had been watching it alone, I may have turned it off at that point because mm, yeah. the, the we should say it's a comedy. So yes. it is a 4-hour comedy. It's a treasure hunting comedy. Yes, and the <laughs> oh, and arguably car exploitation. Yes. But the first 20 minutes, half an hour, all of the jokes were just duds and they kept dragging them out for so long where you're like it wasn't funny to begin with and it's not funny five minutes later shut the fuck up and move on yes but i i pushed past that and i started getting into it the joke started getting better and what makes the movie really fun is all of the stunts because it is a movie just filled with stunt like okay let me put it to you this way at the time it was made, which was 1962, there were about 100 working stuntmen in Hollywood at the time. This movie used 80 of them. <laughs> okay. So, so that gives you a, a good feel. Yeah. Tons of stunts. Really fun. 
not realistic at all, oh, but no. was never meant to be. Just wacky fun, borderline slapstick sometimes, borderline oh, okay. screwball comedy. Uh, before screwball comedies were a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Those sort of came out in the seventies with movies like Airplane. Yep. Um, but yeah, I actually, I really liked it in the end. I will. I don't think I'll be watching the Roadshow version again. And let me tell you why. Well, it's four hours long. No, I <laughs> would even be okay with that. I mean, you are the one saying that movies need to be three hours long. I love except long for the movies. ones that don't. Well, I I love long movies, and I will usually make an argument that making a movie longer will make it better <laughs> if, <laughs> if you do it right. Like you can't just. You know, like there was the the triple X with Vin Diesel. There's oh, a two God. and a half hour cut of that yeah. movie, and you it didn't walk... need to be that long. No, and you're just like, oh my God, why? But it's a mad, 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 mad world. So the the Roadshow version, they had to like the Roadshow version didn't exist anymore. They had mm-hmm. to find elements to piece it back together, and these elements ranged from slightly worn film to. Oh my God! To literally, we don't have the film. All we have is the audio. Here's some pictures. <laughs> okay, so that's great. So basically, you'll be watching it, and the um, transfer for the most part looks good. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes when there's movement. Uh, oh, I should say I watched the Criterion. Yes, release. Uh, should so, we mention the other version you have? Oh, I have it on Laserdisc as well. Yep. Uh, which yeah. I, I have not watched because I don't have a laser disc player. But, not yet. So I watched the Criterion version. The transfer is is good on the... Um, Blu-ray? Well, it's good on the, the main elements. Oh, right? okay. The, on, the, on the quality elements. Yeah. It's good. Sometimes when the camera moves, you get that like digital buzzing and stuff, which yeah. was disappointing. But the clarity of the image overall is really good. And then it'll just hard cut to this looks like... A DVD that I bought in the 90s of a movie that was made in the 60s and then you're it cuts back to like the really nice crisp clear image and then it fucking hard cuts to why is this image blue and why does it have Japanese subtitles <laughs> and then it cuts back to really nice crisp clear footage and then it cuts to just black and white pictures like behind the scenes pictures with just <laughs> audio running underneath it cuz they couldn't find that particular piece of footage. <laughs> so, the roadshow version yeah. is just pieced together by literally whatever the fuck they could find. Yeah. Some of these elements were degraded so much that they were it was a color movie, but the elements were degraded so much that they degraded down into black and white. So what they had to do was do a high-resolution scan of the black-and-white image. I'm guessing they colorized it? No. Oh. Kind of, but no, not the way you're thinking. What they did was they scanned the black-and-white image, and then they took the standard-definition transfer that they used on DVDs and hmm. used those to colorize the image. So, huh. so they used the standard-definition color with the high-res black-and-white image to sort of make it look better than DVD, but it it That's looked fascinating. It worked, but it looks weird. <laughs> That's fascinating. Um yeah, they have like a ten or so minute documentary on the the restoration of the Roadshow version. Yeah. So the next time I watch this movie, uh 
it will be the standard release version and i assume that it does not have <laughs> all of those fucking random <laughs> elements in it from what i remember i don't think so again i saw it on dvd so oh, wow okay yeah. so yeah it's a mad 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 world that's four mads yes go check it out it was it was a good movie I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Maybe don't watch the Roadshow version unless you're specifically interested. That sounds actually a little bit like uh, what happened with All Quiet on the Western Front when they went to restore it, Mm -hmm. when it was inducted to the Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. They went to look for all this footage, and a lot of the reels they had were just fucking destroyed. Well, that that tends to happen because in the... uh, Prior to the 90s, really, like even in the 80s, they did not take care of the original negatives yeah. at all. You know, they just let them rot in a studio or in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah. So when people are like, holy shit, we need to like restore this movie, they it, they spend years trying to find the best elements that they can and just work from them and hope to God they still exist. And they also used a very interesting technique. They didn't just transfer uh, the film like that and upscale it and restore it a bit, they did some complete uh, reconstruction of the film where they took different quality frames and all that of a sequence in different quality and they matched them the best they could and then digitally removed tearing or uh, washed okay. out or spots or stuff like so, that. So two things here. Yes. One, it's easier to restore a black and white film than it is to restore a color film. Yes. That being said, the, I I did yeah. not feel that the restoration on It's a Mad, 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 Mad World was adequate. Mm-hmm. I feel like they could have done a much better job. You know how I know? Mm. Lawrence of Arabia on Blu-ray. Yes. That's how I know. Yes. Go watch the restoration of Lawrence of Arabia, watch the final product, and then tell me they did all they could on It's a Mad, 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 Mad yes. World. Because holy fuck. Fuck, the Lawrence of Arabia restoration is impressive. Yeah, I believe the there was another one. It was like North by Northwest or an Alfred Hitchcock film mm-hmm. that they did a restoration like that. They had a piece of this frame, and then they found another piece of this frame, and then they found a you know basically scratched up, unusable you know full image of that. Plus maybe a little extra pieces. Yeah, and they, and they use, put that all together. They use all those different elements to recreate that one yep. frame. Yeah. And then they did digital painting to get to get rid of the scratches and remove some of the jitters in the film. Yeah, and then they actually painted some of the parts that were just lost. That's what they did with uh, Lawrence of Arabia. I don't yeah. think they had to paint anything like that. But yeah, Criterion. Step yep. up your game, because Criterion is the one. We I should say this: Criterion is the one that restored the Roadshow version, I believe. Yes, Lawrence of Arabia was restored by the original filmmakers and people who I guess gave a shit. Yes, <laughs> you need to fucking step up your game, Criterion, if you're gonna restore movies. Like, you can't just fucking slap. Like, the, <laughs> the Japanese <laughs> subtitles. That's what really blew my mind. Yeah, like, those are probably hard coded from a VHS or something. Uh, no. I mean, they were film elements. I oh. assume it was something that played in Japan, that was projected in Japan. But it's like, mm. yeah, digitally remove that shit. I, we have the technology. Yes. Get rid of it. it <laughs> like, the effort for doing it is low. It just takes time. 
Yeah, and yes, it, it takes money and all that. But your criterion—that's what you're supposed to be about. Yes, like uh, there's some restorations that they've done that have just been impeccable, like Doctor Strangelove. Mm. And then there's other stuff, like from what I'm hearing of the Road Show. <laughs> You should, I'll let you borrow it sometime. You should yep. watch it because it's fucking crazy. Like, you're just watching it and you're like, where the fuck did this footage come from? <laughs> Was it sitting in like the, a dumpster out back of Quiznos for the past 50 years? Like, uh, I, yeah. So, like, yeah. Let me get into the final movie that I watched. Yes. So, I was walking around Walmart. And the Walmart by my house has expanded their range of cheap Blu-rays. Oh, have they? They don't have the, like, 788 Blu-ray bin like a lot of Walmarts do. Mm -hmm. Instead, they put them all out on shelves like a proper retailer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that that bin always looked fucking janky to me. (laughs) Like, I'd always pull a movie up and it's like... Holy shit, the case is destroyed. I mean, it can be fun digging through those bins and seeing what treasures you can find, but... It just makes me sad on when you find so many good movies in I there. I know, but especially it's like you pick one up and you you start shaking it and you're like, oh, the disc is like rattling around in yeah, there. You're you like, hear, oh, you know that scratch. Yeah, you can hear the fucking the, the piece broken of pieces. it. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, uh. But no, okay, so uh, what I found was the Iron Giant on Blu-ray. Which I'm not sure I even realized was on Blu-ray. No, and also it took me a long time to realize that was directed by Brad Bird. Brad Bird. The guy who directed The Incredibles. Yep. I got it, and I watched it. I really liked it. Now, I had seen it when I was a kid, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the time when... Okay, so this is a movie that came out in what I consider sort of the golden age of animation. It, It came out in the early 2000s. And the late 90s, early 2000s was this perfect intermingling yeah. of CG and hand animation. I think it came out in 99, right? I don't remember, actually. It was somewhere around there. But yeah. like I said, it was the perfect mingling of hand animation and CG. Yes. And that's why I absolutely love the animated movies of that era, even if I don't like them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Right, it's sort of a 50-50 whether you go back and you watch one because you could end up with, you know, Treasure Planet, which is a great movie. Underrated, underrated, very underrated. Or you could end up with Atlantis, (laughs) which is a shit movie. You know, I remember watching Atlantis as a kid, and I remember having the toys, Mm -hmm. but I don't ever remember liking the movie. No, it's not a good movie, and that's the thing. It's like you go back and you watch those movies of that era, and it's really 50-50 whether or not (laughs) it's as good as you remember or if it's total ass. I never liked Atlantis when I was a kid, and I never liked Titan A.E. when I was a kid either. I enjoyed Titan A.E. more than I should have. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. You should watch it again. It doesn't hold up. I don't Uh, doubt it. But, I mean, that's the generation that so you had Treasure Planet, you had Road to El Dorado, Titan A.E., Atlantis, (sighs) Spirit, uh, Lilo and Stitch, Prince of Egypt, you know, I, I mean, golden age of fucking my animation. God. Right? You just brought my childhood back. Right? Like, full force. And fun fact about Prince of Egypt, my animation teacher in college was a character designer for Prince of Egypt. Well, my fucking teacher in college <laughs> worked on The Exorcist, so yeah. You hate The Exorcist, so uh. Shut up! <laughs> I don't hate the At Exorcist. At least my teacher worked on a good movie. <laughs> anyway, um, so yes, 
the Iron Giant. It was it was good. I really yep. liked it. Uh, a big problem with going back and watching older animated movies from uh, my childhood, like you, you go back and you watch a lot of Disney movies, like yeah. um, you know Hunchback or uh, Beauty and the Beast, and all of those movies. One thing that you notice very quickly is these movies are paced like ass. Yes, they're like they're so short; they're only like eighty minutes, and you, you they just fucking blow through the story and by the end of it you're like well i mean i get the gist of what happened but <laughs> and I mean, the animation looked good yeah um but the iron giant was paced really well and i don't think it's even an hour and a half but it doesn't feel like it needs to be it's it's paced very well it's structured really well has really good fun characters and it was a great story the voice acting was a little iffy Mm-hmm. At the beginning, but you kind of get used to it. I don't know. It feels like it feels like it was a lower budget production. Yeah, and the the sound mixing, especially on the voice actors, they're they're like far too forward. It sounds like they're right up on the microphone, yes. like we are right now, without yes. without any uh, environmental, you know, anything done to their voices. So there's no like reverb or anything, uh, depending on the room that they're in. Yes. But so. <laughs> still, it was it was a great movie. I really enjoyed it a lot more than I kind of expected to. Yeah. So that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. You know, I was going to make a really crash joke there, but I decided against it. Well, I'm glad you told us all about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to keep you all wondering. Okay. So. Anyway, so <laughs> that's all I've been watching. Is it? And yeah, so if you have not seen... Wolf of Wall Street, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, or The Iron Giant, please go do so. Yes. All right. Are we ready to move on to news? All right. So I have a couple pieces of news, and I have a topic that's more of something I wanted to be a back, you know, sort of a back and forth discussion with us. Okay. So we're not doing news. We're doing a topic. What's our topic? Our topic for discussion is... How score has changed in films, more specifically, how it's taken a nosedive in being part of the film experience. Yes, I would definitely tend to agree. So, briefly, real quick, for those who don't know, score is the music behind a movie. Yep. Most people like to call that a soundtrack. It is not a fucking soundtrack. Like, whenever I see... The the you know OST official motion yeah. picture soundtrack. I'm like that's not the fucking soundtrack. The soundtrack is the entire soundtrack. Yes, right. All of the audio makes up the soundtrack. The score specifically is the music behind a movie. And that's something I noticed that they start la- that when they started labeling that started happening in the mid 90s. Well, it's because in the mid 90s they used the soundtrack as like all of the shitty pop songs that they put in the in the movie they would release as yep. the soundtrack. Soundtracks of the 90s were very different. Yes, that's, that's, from today. That's the <laughs> I guess that's the difference between the soundtrack and the original motion picture soundtrack yes. of that we have today which yeah. is the score. Just fucking call it the score, please. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes. So, tell me about this. Tell me about your thoughts. So, my thoughts are, you know, movies used to, when you go to a movie, uh, you know, you'd go there, you'd experience the pictures, you'd also experience the score that, you know, uh, 
was part of the experience that the score has all ever since I was a yeah. kid has always been a huge part of the experience for me. I love movie scores. The score gives you the tone of the film. It gives you how you should be looking at this scene. How well the score can also just completely fucking elevate a movie yes. to a whole other level. It can't like something that they do in film school is watch a scene in a movie with the score stripped out. Yes. And then watch it with the score. It is completely different. Completely. A famous example of that that's available on DVD is Psycho, mm. where they have the shower scene without the score. Yeah. And it's that's, pathetic. Yeah, that's specifically <laughs> to show you how it changes that scene entirely. Yeah. How it goes from being the iconic scene to being a pathetic scene. Yeah. So, is there any score specifically that you're thinking of that you just fucking hated? Guardians of the Galaxy. Because <laughs> it was all... Like, I love the songs that they used. Okay. But the fact that they used them as the score. Um. Well, we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy previously. Yeah. My thoughts on it is basically they are using better art to elevate their shitty art. Yes. Which is not how that should be done at all. Right, it felt like the music that they put in in Guardians of the Galaxy was to compensate, was to give people like, oh, but I like the the music, so watching the movie is fun. Because which song will they play next? Woo! Yeah, that's a thing that I've noticed that's been going on with it too. Is every time a new Guardians movie comes out, there's all these, you know, the comic book news sites or yeah. news film news sites in general are like, what music should they use or will they use in the next Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, well, see, that's that's that, uh, that's kind of a different topic than scores yes, taking a nosedive, but though. My point with that is that a lot of the movies now, especially like, you know, the, the franchise movies, seem to be replacing score with those songs. But where they use original score, the score is essentially meaningless. Bland. It's very, very bland. It's a cookie-cutter score that doesn't do anything to the scene, that it's just there. Okay, so a couple of things. First, mm -hmm. um, yes, score is really important to me, which is why I was ready to fucking murder somebody when uh, Interstellar did not win best score. Yeah. I forget what movie won, but it was basically Interstellar versus a bunch of other bland, shitty fucking scores and Interstellar Lost, which pissed me the fuck off because Interstellar is one of the best scores, in my opinion, just ever written, ever. Score is really important to me. I love Chris Nolan's scores. Yes. You know, I love duh with, you know past tense. I loved Shyamalan's scores. Say mm -hmm. what you will about Shyamalan's movies. His scores were fucking great. Yes. That being said, let me introduce you to the idea or concept of temp music. So what temp music is, is when you're editing a movie, uh, most people like to edit to a song, right? It gives you a, a beat to follow while you're editing, and it gives you an idea of where and how you want things to happen in the edit. Yep. I don't personally like doing that, and yeah. every every professor in my film school fucking argued with me about this because I don't like editing to music to start with. I like laying my footage out first and then you know seeing what I can do with it first and then putting music under it. Yeah. But 
most people will use temp music and edit to that. Yeah, and that's something I've tried is editing to music, and I just couldn't do it. I had to stop halfway through, delete my entire timeline, and start over because it turned out to be shit. The industry will push how, no, you're just supposed to edit to temp music. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. I highly disagree. But that being said, temp music is a thing, okay? And yep. what ends up happening is when you edit to temp music, so what temp music is, is literally any music you want. So you could take score from other movies, you could take any song that you want and just start editing to it, right? So when the director comes in and he's looking at it, he's going, okay, I like this edit, you know? And what that does is it kind of, it locks the movie to that song in a way that the composer has to compose to match the song that was used as temp music. Now, it's not going to be the same song, but it's going to be fucking close enough that it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Which is why, oh, God, I forget who did a video on this. They did a, a video where they basically played a bunch of movies back-to-back -back, or a bunch of scenes back-to-back, -back, and the score for all of them was so fucking mind-blowingly close Mm -hmm. That it's like you've basically listened to the same movie score about 50 times. Because not only do did they all start out with the same temp music, but then the music based on that temp music became temp music. And then everybody based that music on that temp music based on temp music. And then that temp music that was based on temp music that was based on temp music gets circulated as temp music. <laughs> and the entire fucking ecosystem of movie scores has just been watered down to sound basically the same from genre to genre. So all action uh, score sounds the same. All romantic score sounds the same. You all know, all horror, horror sounds the same. With the exact, with pretty much the exact same stabs of music in the exact same places throughout the score. Now a stab yeah. being a point where the music jumps in energy. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a problem, which is why I really like Chris Nolan and his relationship with Hans Zimmer, because they make some original shit. Mm -hmm. They don't just hold themselves to temp music. Like for Interstellar, Christopher Nolan would not tell Hans Zimmer what the movie was about. Mm -hmm. Instead, what he told Hans Zimmer was, it's about a relationship between a man and his son. And Christopher Nolan told him that because Hans Zimmer has a son. And he wanted Hans Zimmer to write music that conveyed that relationship that he has personally with his son. And it wasn't until later that Hans Zimmer found out that this is a massive fucking sci-fi epic and <laughs> that it wasn't a son at all. It was a daughter. But yep. it shaped the entire score in a way that using temp music would have made it sound so fucking bland and generic. Like, you go listen to the score of Interstellar, there's nothing else that sounds like it. There's nothing. What other, especially what other sci-fi score has a fucking pipe organ as the main instrument, right? Yes, it is very, very unique. So yeah, this is actually something that's bothered me for a long time, is just bland movie score that just sort of blends into the back and is good enough. I mean, that's... That that's fucking uh, Marvel, like yep. the entirety. Like, there is not a single piece of music in any of the eighteen fucking Marvel movies that is at all stand out or sounds unique no, no, in no. any way. It's all based on temp music that was based on temp music that was based on temp music. 
Yep. And this was something that really I had started to, I guess, become more attuned to when I was watching uh, some of the extras on the, uh, what was it, Clash of the Titans Blu-ray? The original? Yes, the original. And it was a conversation with Ray Harryhausen, the special effects director. Mm -hmm. I think it was about just the movie in general. And one of the sections was talking about music. And now I'm going to paraphrase him quite a bit here because I don't remember exactly what he said. But uh, he, he was talking about how the music changed as the movie was being it was being produced and edited and how the you know they edited and the feel changed for it and all that and he went on to talk about music and movies today and that the experience has been lost because everybody's score sounds the exact same nobody cares enough to make a unique score and either just makes the same score or just uses pop music. Yeah, and it's deeply sad because scoring a movie was an art form unto yep. itself, separate from just music, right? Yeah. Separate from just regular orchestral composition. Movie scores, like I said, are an art form unto themselves, and it really feels like that art form is being lost. People just use whatever works. You know, yep. whatever's a proven quantity. Eh, I like this fucking score, and it was in a bunch of successful movies that sound like this, so we'll just fucking write another piece that sounds like it, and it'll be great. It'll be fine. Nobody yep. will care. Uh, if I remember correctly, he even, with this point, used it as saying, this is one of the worst generations of filmmaking because you're not getting that audio experience that you should be. Yeah, you're really not. There are very few directors that are giving you that. And like I said, Christopher Nolan with Hans Zimmer are one of those pairings that really do try, you know. Yeah. And Shyamalan as well with his composer also really tried. Like, again, (laughs) say what you will about Shyamalan's movies, but up to and including Lady in the Water, the scores were amazing. The scores were fucking great. The score for Lady in the Water is a fantastic score. It wasn't until, um, oh shit, what was the next one that he did? The the shitty it? one where the plants try to murder. Oh, the happening. Yeah, the happening. It wasn't until the happening because what? even no, yeah, what no, yeah. <laughs> so even when I was a kid, you know, I I had my problems with Shyamalan movies. I liked some of them. I didn't like some of them, but I always loved the scores, and I always looked forward to the next Shyamalan movie mm-hmm. because I always wanted to hear what his next score was going to sound like. So when I got to The Happening, I was like, yay, I can't wait. And by the end of The Happening, I was just like, everything about this movie was shit, including the score. <laughs> Which is why it was yep. so disappointing. I was like, fuck, I didn't even get a good score out of this. Yeah. One of the things that I wonder is, because the, the interview with Harryhausen was done... Back, I think, when the DVD came out, it was like 2005 or something like that, Mm -hmm. before all the Marvel movies. I am very interested in, if you were to ask him today, you know, sit him down, watch like the Marvel movies uh, or the more popular movies, Mm -hmm. what he would say about filmmaking in relation to the score. Mm. I'm not sure, but I do believe Harryhausen has passed away, so. 
It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Oh my god, he's been making movies since the 40s or 50s, yeah. so it's just something that upsets me and yeah, me too. When I watch movies, especially newer movies, it's always one in a million that I find one with a score that I go, "Wow, that really made the film so much better for me." Mm-hmm. Cuz otherwise I just go, "Hey, they used that temp music from here. That was a temp music from here. That was a temp music from here. Okay, I think the one use of... I'm going to cover this right now before we go on into anything else. The use of uh, songs within the movie, intermixing it with the score, or using it more as a score. I think there have been very few cases where it's been done well. You're talking about stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy or um, Baby Driver, like that kind of thing? I'm talking about it done well. Right, but you're talking about using like actual songs, like pop music yes, and stuff. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I there have been very few cases, and I think the most immediate one that I can think of that actually used it well was Deadpool. Deadpool used it well, but I think because it's already inherently cheesy. Yeah. And that's what Deadpool called for. I, I feel like there is a movie that did it well. Like I mean, I, I'm thinking of movies like Almost Famous, where yep. that music is inherent to the atmosphere of '70s rock and roll, going around to concerts and things. Oh yeah, there there are a few but, of those. But yeah, again, those are sort of inherent to the atmosphere. Like you have to, you pretty much have to have that. But I feel like there's a movie more similar to like Baby Driver or something like that, where it was just a part of the movie that worked well. Mm-hmm. But all I'm thinking of is shit like Baby Driver Guardians of the Galaxy, exactly. which was ass. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it's fine if the movie inherently calls for it, such as a movie like Almost Famous yeah. or Deadpool or This is Spinal Tap, because otherwise you just end up with Baby Driver. <laughs> but yeah, it. I feel like it's starting to become an epidemic of filmmakers just relying on already proven art yeah. to just shove in their movies. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what Guardians of the Galaxy is. And I've said it many times and I'll keep saying it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just, yeah, it makes me mad. Yeah. You, I hope you're happy with yourself that you've depressed me, by yes. the way. And it, this is one of the things that has held me back from watching Stranger Things because I've heard about everybody's like, oh, the 80s soundtrack. And I'm like, so they don't have a score. Uh, No, they have a score. Mm. They use very few 80s songs. Most all I hear about when I hear about, you know, the score, the music is just, oh, all the 80s songs that they used. Uh, is, I don't remember uh, them using 80s songs at all. The whole thing about the score for Stranger Things is it's very 80s synth. It's an original mm. score, but they they use the 80s synth sound. And in fact, they used the synthesizer specifically that created the 80s synth sound. I forget yeah. what it's called. But it, you know, it's it's one of those things where they don't fucking make them anymore. Yeah. You uh, can't find parts for them anymore. No. So to get that specific '80s classic synth sound, you have to use synthesizers that are still working and they're slowly dying and going away. Yep. And that's what Stranger Things used. Yeah. So my advice, and if I remember this correctly, is if you want to use one, 
Uh, you should probably go beg Dead Mouse because he has a yeah. lot of them. Well, Dead Mouse has the one. he has the yeah. synthesizer. I mean, he's got a fuck ton of synthesizers. He also he? has a recording, the only recording studio with Dolby Atmos in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for some reason, <laughs> I don't know why he needs that. But it's because he's 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 Dead Mouse. Yeah, it's that's because why. he's Dead Mouse. That's why. Anyways, I are you ready to get into the news? Yeah. So hit me. Right. What are your What are your News of my bobs. All right. Before my phone dies. I found a few things. They're fairly short. All right. I'm ready. The first one is Christopher Nolan says that despite all the evidence of the contrary, he is not going to be a part of the new Bond film. Because apparently everybody was saying he was slated to direct it. He came out and said, no, while I would love to direct it, I am not uh, attached for it. And I do not believe they have need of me. I believe Sam Mendes is doing a fine job as he is. No, he's not. <laughs> um, okay, so Sam Mendes directed Skyfall, yep. which I was really excited for because and Sam Spectre as well. Sam Mendes, I guess, was one of my favorite directors. He directed. He was Jarhead, right? Yeah, well, he directed Jarhead. That was right. He directed American Beauty. Yep. He directed. He, he directed Road to Perdition, yep. which is one of my favorite movies. Has some of the best cinematography in any movie ever go watch it and so when i heard he was directing a james bond movie i was like this is gonna be fucking interesting yeah and it wasn't no it looked like every fucking other one of the modern era james bond movies it was bland and boring and the action sucked and the story sucked and for some reason james bond is just murdering people (laughs) like Yep. It was really disappointing, and I I did hear the rumor that Chris Nolan was going to be directing a James Bond movie, and again, I was like, yep. I guess that could be interesting. But I mean, he, he's been rumored for the past few movies that every, you know, Skyfall he was rumored to direct, Spectre he was rumored to direct, but he never said anything till now, and I feel he's saying something to get people to stop talking about it. Yeah, and I feel, okay, so there's another similar situation mm-hmm. that I feel like Somebody needs to fucking say something about it because it's getting out of control, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is there's been a rumor for a long time that David Fincher is going to direct World War Z 2. If you go onto his IMDb right now, it's there. Does it say rumored next to it or? No, it it doesn't. It says announced, but it's been there for years. David Fincher hasn't said anything about it. Yeah. The and movie's been in development hell, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's attached to direct, but they're not making any progress But I'm on just it. like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. You don't give David Fincher a sequel to a shitty movie. Yeah. That doesn't make any fucking sense at all. The only way it would make sense is if they remade the If they remade movie. it. But even then, David Fincher makes World War Z? I mean, I would see it if it was I would more see in tune it, with but the book. I would see it, but you is David Fincher the director you would go to for that? No. no. I no, love no. David Fincher. He is one of my favorite directors. Don't hire him to direct an action movie. <laughs> like, yeah. It just seems so yeah. fucking weird to me. And it's just it's been there for years and nobody has said anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to believe it until it happens. Yeah. And I actually have who I would go to for a World War Z remake. Who? Frank Darabont. That would if be it was more in the style of the book, I, that I would, he would fit really well. That would be interesting. I'll give you that. Yeah. 
Was that all? Was that all on that one? That was all on Chris okay. Nolan. He said that he's not going to direct it, and that he thinks Sam Mendes is doing a fine Can, job. Oh, I wanted to point something else out. Funny enough, this comes kind of into play in my later news story. Yeah. Um, but for now, all I'll say is James Bond was Fox, now owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting how a lot of these high-powered directors who are scheduled to direct things from Fox are now saying, mm. yeah, I'm not doing that? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? We talked about that last week. Yeah. I didn't. I actually didn't know it was owned by Fox because I always knew it was the uh, British company. Fox might be the... Um, the American, American distribution, production, whatever. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. They might have uh, but done the, a partnership deal. I think the modern movies are the ones that Mendez, the ones that he's directed, were Fox. Mm. So I'm just saying. Come on. I want another Eon directed film, <laughs> another Eon produced film. I want to see Bond drop a dune a wheelchair <laughs> into a nuclear power plant. But I, I'm just saying, you know, isn't that fucking interesting? How... It's very fascinating. Yeah. All right. So anyway. It's very conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And right. I remembered who the new rumored writer of the new Bond movie is. Okay. This is a dude who wrote Fight Club. the Not the book, the screenplay for the movie. That's who's rumored to write it. I could not get any verification on that. So. I feel like a lot of these rumors just come from people going, wouldn't it be awesome if this guy did it? And then somebody overheard and took it seriously. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the next thing. This one's a bit more fun because this one's verified. Uh, Christopher McKay. He directed the Lego Batman movie, and he also edited the Lego movie, if okay. you cared. And he's also a longtime director on the Robot Chicken series, including directing the third Star Wars special, and is a director on DC's upcoming Nightwing. A bunch of shit I have never seen and have no interest in seeing. So. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he is attached to direct the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons film. Why which is, is there a Dungeons and Dragons? Another one. Did we not learn from the last one? <laughs> Oh my God! Go watch the last Dungeons and Dragons movie and tell me we need another one. I yes. mean, I'm sure it's not going to be a sequel. No, it's, no, no, no. But I'm just I would saying. I pay to see a sequel, though. Oh my God! Go watch that movie. <laughs> it is shit tat. I, I swear to get get a bunch of your friends around. Grab get, some beers. Get fucking drunk as hell and watch <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. It is fucking hilarious. Yes. Anyway, but uh, he's attached to direct. But some interesting news is while he's attached, it's still in development hell, which means there's no progress being made on right. it. Right. Development hell is an industry term, yep. by the way. It it basically means it is stalled, halted, nothing's being done on it for reasons could be fucking anything. <laughs> yep. In this case, I don't think they have a script written. I don't think they have any sort of team to get it's there. one, I think it's this one is of those the, that's yeah. basically just a concept like we want to make this movie but we don't have literally anything for it so yeah and this version of the movie i think has been around since like 2009 mm. so it's been around almost 10 years and nothing has happened on it you know what's gonna happen well, right? i mean chris mckay is attached so you know what's Something gonna happen, happen right what we're gonna get another warcraft movie basically uh, no, <laughs> that's what's no, gonna no, happen no, no. All right, I have one more topic. This one's also a fun one and a really short one. Okay. 
David Sandberg, not David F. Sandberg. David Sandberg, the director of the Kung Fury short. Oh, yes, I heard about this. They're, they're making a feature they're film. Making a feature film. It's shooting uh, this summer in June, I believe. And David Hasselhoff returns as the Hoff 9000, which is the car. Mm-hmm. But also just announced and confirmed by David Sandberg is two other actors to be in the film. Michael Fassbender and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yep. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, I believe, isn't he playing the president? Uh, there are unannounced roles. I swear I heard something about that. Anyway, yeah, I did hear about this. I don't think I've ever seen the short, so really? I, it's on I Netflix. It's on YouTube. I don't know much it's about everywhere. it. I'll have to. I'll have to look it up. Yes, it's a very entertaining short, and I am very interested to see uh, to see what they do with this full length feature film. I know a lot of people yeah. are really excited about this. Yeah. Oh yeah, because the short that uh, what came out was supposed to be a feature length film, mm. but that was only if they hit their goal on their second Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and they didn't, so they just turned it into a short. So that's all the news I got. Okay. <laughs> you got that out of your system. You no. done? No. So. Uh, tell me if you have this problem. Do you ever sometimes burp so hard you shit your pants? <laughs> Is that what you just did? I mean, it may be a little squishy and wet in there. You're clean in the chair. I hope you know that. It's not on the chair, though. It's currently crawling down my pant leg. Okay. We ready to move into, I guess, what's going to be the main topic of this episode that's already been going for an hour and a half. Yes, I'm ready to move in. I never thought you'd ask. So, <laughs> anyways, being serious. There is a fascinating lawsuit going on, and uh, hey. there was a, not a deliberation. The lawsuit is still in the works, but the judge so said something that made me cream my pants. So, <laughs> let's get into what the lawsuit is is yes and okay so there are a bunch of people out there that just love wanking off disney right they just they fucking love giving disney their money and whenever i come up to them uh (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) whenever i come to them whenever is that what you do when you come up to them it may as well be whenever (laughs) i go up to them and i start saying like you know Disney is not this nice, fluffy, fucking friendly corporation. Yep, like I have that all the time with people. I mean, people look at Disney the way that they look at Nintendo. You know, where it's mm. like, oh, but Nintendo, they're so fluffy and friendly. And Nintendo, is, I love Nintendo, Nintendo. It's the same thing with Disney. Like, oh, Disney makes all my favorite fun, colorful movies. They're, they're wacky and fun, and I love them. And they're wrong in both instances. Yeah, well... What you need to understand, and what I've been saying, I think, every episode of this podcast now. Yeah, I think we've hammered it in their heads every time. But this is important, okay? It's important this time. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? The second half is a shit show. Okay. All right. What I've been saying this whole time is Disney are a bunch of greedy Fucking money-grubbing assholes. They're a corporation. 
they're they're one of the worst. They're one of the worst. Like they're even worse than EA. People need to get that through their head. Disney is a terrible, greedy, incredibly consumer, unfriendly corporation. Yep. They fuck their customers over, and people need to understand that. And we're gonna go into a lawsuit that sort of proves my fucking point. Yes. So, Disney versus Redbox. Yeah. For those who don't know, like myself earlier today. Yep. I actually ended up reading a little bit about this, so I'm not completely inept at this conversation. Okay. For those who don't know, the way Redbox stocks their movies, or at least in terms of Disney movies, is they do not have a distribution deal with Disney. They buy their movies from retailers at retail price like the rest of us. Yep. And what they do is they will buy the multi-packs, you know, the packs that come with the Blu-ray, the DVD, and the digital copy. Yep. And what they do is they take the Blu-ray and the DVD and they put them in the the Redbox machines and they take the digital copy and they sell it. So there are some Redbox machines, apparently, none of the ones around here. No. But there are some Redbox <laughs> machines that you can go to and you can buy a digital code for a movie out of the Redbox. These digital codes are sold for far less than what you can buy the same movie for on iTunes or Hulu or anything else that is sanctioned by Disney. Yep. So Redbox is undercutting Disney's prices with their own movies, and Disney does not like this. Now, here's the kicker. That, all that, is illegal to do. I know. That's the thing. All of this is uh, pres- exactly legal. Uh, it is called first sale doctrine, yep. and essentially what it means is when you buy something— while you don't have the rights to the content, per se, right? Like, yeah. you, you don't own the copyright to the movie. You do own the rights to the physical object, right? Yep. Which means when you buy a movie, you can resell that movie. There are tons of stores everywhere where their entire business is reselling used movies. Yep. It's perfectly legal. It's the same with music as well. Yes. But Disney does not like this nope. at all <clears throat> yep. because— Keep in mind, this is also part of their beef with Netflix because that's how their DVD system and Blu-ray system works. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to bring this up now just as sort of um, so you can get an idea of the way Disney operates and what their prices are like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've been complaining for a long time that Disney movies are— shockingly overpriced. And also, they choose what movies they want available and what movies they want to put away for a while. Right. So this is what I was talking about, about being consumer unfriendly, right? Yes. They fuck the consumer over by saying, if you don't buy this movie now, well, it's going away for the next decade, so you better grab it while you can. And also, it's only 30 fucking dollars for a 30-year-old movie. On DVD. On DVD. Now, they don't do the Disney Vault thing so much anymore. Not so much anymore, but I've still been fucked, and recently, by the fact that there are some movies they haven't let out of there, like the movie Moon Cussers, which was a treasure hunting movie from the 50s Mm. when they were on that binge. They locked that away, and it's gone forever now. I can't even... I was was fucked over over, um, Christmas. I was Mm -hmm. trying to find Lady and the Tramp for my mom. Nobody fucking had it. Nope. Nobody had it. So that's one thing is the Disney vault. 
But even the movies that are not in the Disney vault are exorbitantly expensive. And the movies that I decided to use for this example are the Marvel movies. Because mm-hmm. if you go into any store and you try to buy Iron Man, a 10-year-old movie, by the way, 10 years old, is still selling for $23. That's new price for a movie that just came out a yes. week ago. So every one of the Marvel movies sells for $23, no matter how fucking old they are. That means 18 movies in, if you want to purchase all of the Marvel movies, you are paying $418 for these movies. Okay? Mm -hmm. Do you understand me? $418 to own the Marvel movies. And there's not even a multi-pack. You can't buy a multi-pack. They used to have one. The only multi-packs they have are by... Um, phases. Phases. So you have the phase one multi-pack. Up to Avengers. That has six movies in it for $125. Yep. It used to be less. And then they have the phase not. two multi-pack that has mm. six movies in it up to for the, $125. Yep. That's so up you, to the second Avengers. Right. So you buy both those multi-packs. That's $250 for 12 movies. And then you still have to buy all of the other movies that aren't included in those. Yep. So, holy God. That is fucking expensive. And I was thinking, what movies could I compare this to to prove my point? I got it. James Bond. Mm -hmm. The James Bond complete collection that has 23 movies in it, more movies than Marvel has out at at the time of recording this, 23 movies, 160 bucks. So that's $160 for 23 movies. Movies, which equates to roughly $7 a movie, a little bit less than $7 a movie on Blu ray, by the way. That's bargain bin prices, right? Like you go to Walmart in their cheap Blu ray section, that's how much they are. So you can buy in a really nice multi pack yep. all 23 James Bond movies for bargain price. Yep. And even with that, if you want to go third party, at Zia Records, they sell that same collection for a hundred dollars less than that. It's probably New. used though. New. New. So yeah. Um. Oh, and like I said before, unfortunately, that I <laughs> what I found out while I was researching this is that James Bond is Fox, which means mm-hmm. now it's Disney. Yep. Well, yeah. So at least the American side. I don't think the British are gonna let Disney. You know, do I what would they want. hope not. I would yeah. fucking hope not. Because by but, the tactics that they've done to keep the movies with them, I would be shocked if they let Disney do anything to the James Bond films. But even still, even if Disney is just the distributor, yeah, I can imagine like fucking twenty five dollars uh, a piece for these movies, and then they're gonna make that collector set, and it's gonna be like four hundred dollars. Yeah, that's my point. Is I, I want you guys to understand where Disney is coming from before we get into the bulk of this uh, lawsuit. Okay, mm-hmm. Disney does not want to sell their movies cheaply. Disney wants their movies to have like a, a premium feel to them. They want people to get used to the idea of spending more money for a Disney movie so that nobody complains, right? Yep. I'm shocked nobody is complaining. It's mind-blowing to me. Why is it okay 
to charge $23 for a 10-year-old movie, not even in a any sort of special edition no, thing. No, no, no. just for the basic movie with like no special features on it. And I think even more egregious sometimes that I've seen is they'll have the the movie, you know, that comes out and they have the standard edition and then 2 years later they have the same edition with an alternate cover sleeve yeah. for fucking 10% more. And and their cartoons can be even worse. Like yes. the, you know, um The Lion King. The Lion King can go for like 30 fucking dollars. Basically their their golden age of animation. Yeah. So that's Disney. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Now, what they're doing to Redbox is they're suing Redbox for selling those codes because yep. Redbox is selling the codes for well, cheaper than what Disney is. Not just the codes for Re, for essentially reselling the DVDs and Blu-rays as well. Um, everything that I've seen that has not been a big part of the lawsuit. Mm. It's been what, a part, but not a big what part. What Disney is really pissed about are the codes. Because of their upcoming streaming service. Yes. What happened is Disney decided to sue Redbox, and instead of Redbox saying, like, okay, Disney, we'll play your game, we'll go through this lawsuit, Redbox turned around and fucking sued Disney. Yep. Which, one, I love. That's great. That is great. Like, when I read a little bit into this lawsuit, Redbox had my respect already for having a lot of shit. Sure, I was upset at their prices going up by a dollar. Something, yeah. But this just cemented me being behind Redbox completely and fully. So to to give you an idea of some of the other things that Disney has done to Redbox, uh, Disney actively blocks stores from selling to Redbox, right? So mm-hmm. if a store like, uh, I don't know if Target. Walmart well, <laughs> or Target, I don't know if Walmart or Target are on this list, but just as an example, right? Mm-hmm. So say... Uh, a store like Target buys from Disney. Yeah, Disney will only let them carry their movies in the store if they sign a contract that says they will not sell to Redbox. Mm-hmm. Right. So Disney has done like shitty, underhanded, not actually upholdable in any legal way tactics to prevent Redbox from getting hold of their movies. Yeah. And like I said, Redbox has to go to just retail stores and just buy what they can get in any location. So the the whole lawsuit here is that Disney is claiming Redbox is violating their copyright mm-hmm. by selling these uh, codes. The, the, the codes, right? They're saying mm. they're selling an unlawful copy of the movie because the codes came in a specific pack that the code was only supposed to come with if you bought the pack. Mm-hmm. Okay. But like we already said, uh, first sale doctrine states that uh, basically literally what it says is that you have the right to dispose of anything that you buy in any way you see fit, including sale, gifting, parting out, whatever. It's yep. the same way you can buy a car. And sell all the parts out of it, right? It's you're perfectly legal to do that. Likewise, you can buy a multi pack mm-hmm. and sell each disc and the code separately. Uh, there is a store right near us that we we were browsing around in the uh, <laughs> few weeks ago, and they had an entire rack 
of just codes that you could buy oh, for five yep. bucks. Yep. Right? I was like, that's pretty genius. You know, it was a used movie store, so they go through any yeah. movie that has the code left in the thing. They'll just be like, they'll take that out and yeah. they'll put it on their rack for of, like of three codes to five dollars for, for five dollars. And it's like, yeah, and that's all Redbox is doing. Yep. But Disney fucking hates Redbox, and not it's not just Disney either. The entire mm-hmm. film industry was butthurt when Redbox came out because they were selling so much cheaper than everywhere else, which means the film industry perceived it as that they would be making less. Yeah. Which they weren't, by no, the way. No, they were making more in uh, a lot of the cases. It's because it's it's opening up a new audience of people that maybe can't afford to spend $5 to rent a movie. They'll go to Redbox and spend a dollar to rent yep. that movie. And same thing with the codes. People who couldn't afford to spend Disney's fucking $25 for a movie could go to Redbox and get the digital code for... I don't know how much Redbox actually sells them for. Yeah, I probably should have looked that up, but... <laughs> but for well, for much less than that, right? Yeah. Disney does not like this because no. Disney is a greedy, money-grubbing, piece-of-shit corporation. And here's what I don't understand, mm. too. Redbox buys these movies from retail. They buy them at retail price. So what fucking money is Disney losing? They've already made the money from that copy. Well, here's the problem. They're not losing money. They're just missing the opportunity to be in on a bigger part of the money, but they don't want to split profits with Redbox. Okay, but see, here's the thing. They're not missing that opportunity, Mm -hmm. okay? Because Redbox is buying copies that other people were never going to buy. So if you think about it this way, right, Redbox buys... The Avengers, right? Yeah. Redbox buys the Avengers, puts it in their kiosk. People who are never going to buy it get to rent it, and somebody who is never going to buy the movie to begin with gets to buy the digital copy for a more affordable price. Disney has not lost money here. Disney still sold that copy at retail price. Yep. They did not lose any money. They did not lose a customer. That was a customer that Disney never had to begin with. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is they never lost money. They weren't a part of getting more money. Right. And they but weren't no, no, a that's... part of being the sole person who's getting that money. Right, but that's that's what I'm saying, though, is even if you try to look at it that way, if Redbox didn't exist, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have made the money from those copies that Redbox bought in the first place. Instead, they would be making less money because Redbox isn't buying thousands of copies. Yeah, but that's the problem is Disney doesn't see that part. Disney doesn't want to see that part. Because corporations are fucking stupid. So, and especially Disney. When you're a money-grubbing, short-sighted company, this is the kind of shit that you fight over. It's fucking stupid. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in the middle of all of this, right, Disney sues Redbox. Redbox sues Disney. Disney files for an injunction against Redbox yep. that would prevent them from renting or selling Disney movies as long as the uh, lawsuit is active, mm-hmm. right? So the judge looks at the uh, the the injunction, yep, and says no. <laughs> the judge is like ah no to all of that because. And and this was this was what made me cream my fucking pants 
all right, the judge not only said no to the injunction, but also accused Disney of copyright misuse. Not just misuse, but abuse. Abuse, which is big. Because here's the thing, all right? Do you know what the punishment for copyright misuse or abuse is? Mm, what the is loss it? of that copyright. Ooh. Now, okay, this is this is speculation, okay? Yeah. Th- because, again, this is not something that's been deliberated on. We don't know how or even if the judge is going to carry forward on any sort of um, legal action or charges against Disney for that. We just know that That he made the comment that he made. Yeah. He made the comment. He made the accusation. Yeah. Um, So here's where I start speculating because it just, it makes me giddy like a schoolgirl to, to fantasize about this. I don't think this will happen, but okay. So yeah, follow me here. I'm following. If, the punishment for copyright misuse or abuse is the loss of that copyright. What happens to the copyright? Ooh, it goes away. But Doesn't what happens it? to it? I don't I don't know wouldn't exactly. It, wouldn't it fall into public domain? That is true, especially for a lot of their uh a lot of their older properties. So here's I like just I don't necessarily think this is going to happen. I think what will happen is we're just going to see um, Disney movie boxes labeled differently in a way that fucking skirts the law and makes Redbox not be able to do whatever the fuck. But just I want to think about this for just half a second. If Disney lost the copyright to all of the copyrights that it is abusing, which is a lot a, a lot in all of the Pretty marvel movies all, all the marvel movies and if they any mickey mouse related property as well if they dropped into public domain oh my god it would be the most hilarious fucking thing because one it would mean we would have just marvel like shitty knockoff marvel <laughs> movies everywhere because anybody could make one yep. and two it would be so Oh, it would be delicious. It would be, because it would be sweet, Di- sweet karma. Because Disney fought so fucking hard and lobbied so fucking hard to make none of their properties ever fall into public domain. In fact, I would argue around, illegally, yeah. right? Yep. So a, a big chunk of Disney movies, especially their cartoons like Snow White and and all of that Mickey era Mouse. of movies, Mickey Mouse, should all be public domain. Yes. Already. But Disney, being Disney, lobbied and pushed and created Had the law change. Essentially, created the modern day copyright law, to, which, by the way, is called the Mickey Mouse clause. Yeah. Uh, so they created modern copyright law to make sure that their movies did not fall into public domain, mm-hmm. which is what they are now fighting against. Yep. Okay, so I want you to understand that the thing that they are suing Redbox for. They fucking lobbied to make a law in the first place. And if that all mm-hmm. came around to Disney properties dropping into public domain, oh my God, it would be the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. God, that, I would love it. I that, would love it. Just the thought of that just makes me cream my pants. Like, I'm going to jerk it to that thought tonight. I would fucking love it. So goddamn much like, if that happened. God. It's like it's such sweet, sweet karma that I just want to see happen because of just how much bullshit there is 
because of Disney. Uh, yeah, Disney completely fucked up copyright law. So, um, aside from Disney being incredibly consumer unfriendly, they are also just sort of legally unfriendly and completely yeah. destroyed copyright law. So, if you needed more reasons to hate Disney, there's a big one. Yep. So, yes, a lot of places are reporting on this news. It's not been like giant news. No. But a lot of a lot of papers in in online magazines and whatnot have been reporting on the news and a lot of them are misreporting that this has been some sort of landmark case that Redbox has has won this lawsuit. That's mm. not true. The lawsuit is ongoing. No. There has been no deliberation. Uh, no, there's the, no ruling on either lawsuit in either party's favor. It's all still completely up in the air. Yes. But the fact that the judge said it. Yes. Is a big deal. Yes. The fact that the judge, one, isn't a moron, and two, got the idea out there that Disney is horrifically misusing their copyright mm -hmm. is important. And I am so happy to see it happening. Now, as you were saying, we don't know, you know, there's been nothing said one way or the other on there. As far as we know, for future plans, the next, I believe it's hearing, it might be a deliberation, I believe it's a hearing, is March 5th. And Redbox has plans to file for Disney's lawsuit to be dropped. I, I don't know all what Redbox has planned, but Redbox, yeah. That's if I, if I, know I was Redbox, I would be suing the shit out of Disney. Oh, yeah. For all kinds of things. Frivolous lawsuit, yep. copyright misuse, um, even just sort of <laughs> general abuse to the company, yes. you know, loss of business, that kind of shit. Yeah. I would Harassing theaters har harassment. and, and uh, well, stores. Yeah. Theaters wouldn't, Redbox would have nothing to do with the well, whole theater. They don't thing, have but... anything to do with theaters, but it's still a lawsuit I'd like to see brought against oh, them. Oh my god, I would love that too. Because yeah, that's another thing is that Disney basically threatens theaters like if you don't put us on all of your biggest screens and for push, this amount of time. For this amount of time and push all the other movies out, then you don't get it. any yeah. of our movies. Which and, is a huge revenue loss for that theater. Yeah. So it is it's essentially a Disney blackmails theaters into only displaying their movies in the most prominent parts of the theater, yep. which is disgusting behavior. I mean, I don't understand how people have this this idea of Disney, like, oh, they're this cute, friendly, fluffy company. They're they're disgusting. No. They are a fucking gross corporation. Yes, and they're <clears throat> there's there's also not a lawsuit yet, but I hope there will be about. The Disney Fox buyout. Yes, that was in talks. Yeah, last there, that we heard. There were people who were talking about it. It, it was and the uh, looking into yeah, it. The antitrust committee. Yeah, because here's the thing: if a corporation gets too big, the government will step in and split them into pieces. Yeah, right. And I don't know why Disney keeps pushing it. Yeah. They do. They're actively asking for the government to do it. Mm -hmm. And just so you know, yes, the government has. They did it to Microsoft in the 90s. Mm -hmm. All right. The government They did will, it to AT&T. Yeah. The government will do it. And Disney is begging for it. Disney is fucking 
begging for it. Mm-hmm. Like by buying out Fox, they own so much of the film industry, it's obscene. Yep. And that's the one thing that I see that we need to get on because I know for a fact that other countries such as the UK are looking into that misuse as well and have actually proposed that they should form a lawsuit. I because hope of that. somebody does. I really do. Because this mm-hmm. whole thing is disgusting. Like, in my opinion, and we've talked about this before, Disney is single-handedly destroying the film industry yep. because everything they do, everybody else follows. And they're behaving so recklessly mm-hmm. and without any artistic integrity at all. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's my news for this week. <laughs> it made me cream myself just a little bit just a just, little just, bit. A, just just a little bit we'll see what happens with the lawsuit if disney wins i'm gonna fucking i i don't know i'm gonna set something on fire i'm gonna set something very large on fire if disney wins this <laughs> will lawsuit. it be your house probably well my house might be a part of it okay that that makes sense Can but I yeah be a part if, of it yes because i don't want to live in a world where disney wins that lawsuit if disney wins this lawsuit it's going to be extraordinarily bad it's going to set because that precedent it sets a precedent and it's going to be awful if we have that standing precedent that is going to be really really bad not just for the film industry but for corporations in general Mm -hmm. and for copyright law It, it will be terrible so we need Redbox to win this and keep in mind this doesn't just affect film yeah, it affects exactly. every single thing that a corporation's involved in, and that is every aspect of our lives. Um, but specifically for copyright law, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just film; it's, it's music, m- music, movies, movies, anything else. It's books. Yep, writing, anything. It's games. I think I said games. No, you didn't. Oh well, I meant to say games. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it it affects everything in a big way. Yep. So if Disney wins this, it could be potentially very 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 bad yes but the way things are looking it looks like they're not because it looks like this judge is on to disney's shit and i have a feeling that if disney does the tactics it always does in these lawsuits the judge could could pull bribing the court on them as well because disney has a record of bribing the courts Mm, well lobbying lobbying yes (laughs) But if the if they try that with this judge, I feel this judge is gonna be like, no, that's a load of horseshit charges. I fucking hope so. I hope it goes down that like I hope Disney pulls out all of their like mafia fucking tactics and the this judge is just like, fuck you, sit your ass down charges. Just take all the charges. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to jail. Oh, if somebody went to jail. Oh, I, oh would, my God. I would love to see some Disney executives be sent to jail. That would, that would be hilarious. Oh. And to be clear, they would not be sent to jail over the copyright thing. No. But if they tried to bribe the court, potentially they could. And that would be really funny to me. That would just be icing on the cake. Yeah. So to say. All right, so I think that's about all we've got on uh, on news. Yeah. We ended on a high note. Yeah, potentially. A potential high yeah. note. So we're moving into recommendations, and you yep. said you, you actually texted me that you had one ready this I week. I know. So 
It's what a big surprise because I'm usually very unreliable. Hit me with it. My floppy asshole is ready. If I must. <laughs> <laughs> no, my recommendation. Your erection? Yes, my erection. My erectionmendation. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get through this? It, wow, this episode just fucking went off the rails in a big way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. My recommendation for this week is Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Not yeah. the 2004 version. George A. Romero's 1978 version. Okay. Yeah. Well, I would recommend both, honestly. Yeah. Well, I, li- okay. I personally like the 78 version much better than I like the 2004 version. I do but... not like the Zack Snyder 2004 version. Yeah. that Like, I've watched it a handful of times. Uh, it's entertaining. The yeah. Green Baby is stupid. Yes. Um, Ving Rhames was... But uh, here, here's why I said I would recommend both. As comparison. Yes. If you are a film student or you're interested in film in any way, comparing those two movies is fascinating. <laughs> yes, especially since I think the 2004 Dawn of the Dead was Zack Snyder's first film, first yes. feature film. Yes, it was. Anyway, yes, sorry. So Continue. Why do you recommend the original? So I recommend the original because Night of the Living Dead started the zombie genre. <laughs> Yeah. But Dawn of the Dead set the precedent for what the zombie genre is. Yeah, definitely. For the gore, for the pacing, for the story. They, it basically, the kind of zombie. The kind of zombie. Because before before Night of the Living Dead, zombies were usually like voodoo things. Yeah. You know? Yes. They, they weren't really like the, the shoot them in the head, walking dead fucking zombies as we know them yes. now. Even then, they weren't the zombies as we know them now. Yeah. Because the zombies in Night of the Living Dead, and I believe as canon throughout all of the series, the zombies are because of a meteorite that crashed. Yeah, like a fucking radioactive meteorite that brought the dead to life for reasons. (laughs) And they were never zombies as the word. Well, they were the walking dead. They were ghouls. Yeah. That's what they were called from George Romero. But- Everybody else, we know them as zombies. Yep. And well, George Romero did adopt the zombie. Uh, he did title. eventually. Yeah. Eventually, he did. But up until he did, which was like I think the early mid two thousands, they were always ghouls. Mm. But not just because of all those precedents on the dead sets, but also just how fun it is as a movie. Like it has the right amount. Of, you know, of the action of balls to the wall, you know, action. It's got the right amount of suspense from the zombies. It's got the right amount of cheese from the pre-80s. Yeah. And it fits it all together with an abundance of gore that was not at all common at that time. Mm -hmm. Like 1978, uh, that was, I believe, the year that Halloween released. And that was one of the first... That was one of the slasher movies that set the precedent for what slasher movies are. But and even it was, it's not that gory. It was very bloodless. Yeah, it's very tame if you go watch the any of the original slashers. Like, go, go fucking watch Friday the 13th. Go it's watch, hilarious. Go watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There is almost no, no blood, blood yeah. in that film. Yet, everybody seems to think there was a huge amount of blood in the first one. No. But yeah, but the, yes. the zombie movie, like, that's... That's why when you watch zombie movies now, there's always just fucking just body parts and organs and fucking blood and yep. shit everywhere because it was kind of the original gory movie. Yes. 
And the one scene to point to for where it all started mm-hmm. was the helicopter decapitation scene. I should say, just to be clear, I have not seen this movie. You've not seen it. Um, I, I have the movie. I'll loan it to you. Yeah, I, I want to see it. I've been meaning to see it for a while. I've seen Night of the Living Dead many times. Yes. But I have not seen any of the other Romero zombie movies. No. And uh, I need must, to, up until, yes. up to Day of the Dead, I don't yes. really have an interest in anything past <laughs> you that. You just but. need the first three and then pretend the others don't exist. Yeah. Oh, you mean you don't like fucking Diary of the Dead? Uh, <laughs> but, Anyway, yes. yeah. Anyways, the uh, helicopter the, decapitation scene. Yeah. Yes, the helicopter decapitation scene. A news reporter and a soldier who escape via helicopter and are heading somewhere that you know, they hope is not zombie infested. Yeah. And there's a scene where they sit down in an abandoned airstrip, and while they're fueling up, a zombie comes walking out onto the platform. As he's approaching, the helicopter blades are still going. He walks up on a box, and the helicopter blades take its head off. Mm-hmm. Blood pours down its face, and it falls over. That is, like, where you can see the first moment of... Body parts everywhere. Yeah, of just in, intense gore that people were not used to. Yep. And the reason Romero was able to do that is because these were independent films. He made them exactly the way that he wanted to make them. Exactly. Yep. Something that uh, that I advocate in filmmaking, make the films you want to make, don't give in to, to that, but also yeah. be invested in the films you want to make. Definitely, yep. But this film is probably... One of the best films I've ever seen, zombie films I've ever seen. I'm about to outdo you with my recommendation. I'm I'm sure you will, but in my personal opinion, it was what got me into a lot of the, a lot of a lot more of film and a lot more of the horror film, and the more gory films. So it plays a big part in my life. Sure. All right, so what do you recommend? This week, I'm going to be a classy motherfucker. All right. I'm going to recommend Citizen Kane. Ooh. So most people have at least heard the title Citizen Kane. I would hope so. Right? I, it is It is the quintessential movie movie, right? It's, yep. it's fucking Citizen Kane. It is the movie that... If you're in the film industry at all, or you go into film school, everybody says, this is the best movie ever made. All of your teachers will push it on you and say, you need to watch this movie. This is the best movie ever made. It's not the best movie ever made. I will argue that to the death. But it is a very good movie. And it's a very important movie. It's a very important movie. It is a movie that was shockingly ahead of its time. It was made in 1940. I want to say five. It was like mid forties. Like five, uh, nineteen forty-five or nineteen forty-six, something like two. that. It was mid forties, and you would not see another movie that comes anywhere near it in terms of cinematography, acting, or makeup until the seventies. Yep, the film industry did not catch up to this movie for twenty or thirty years. No, and it's a shame because I know part of the reason why. Okay, why is that? Uh, the movie was supposedly about the billionaire oh, right. you're Randolph. Talking, yes, you're talking about the yeah. Okay, so let me get into it then. Yeah, 
the movie was based on what's his name? I don't remember. It's like Randolph Hearst or something yeah, like fucking, that. Okay. I know he's the one whose daughter got kidnapped by that cult and then robbed a bank. <laughs> yeah, that is a, not what the movie's about. It's not what the movie's the about, but that's true events about the guy's life. All right, so there was a real guy. He was yep. a, a newspaper mogul, right? He was yep. he was one of the biggest people in in print media, and this movie, Citizen Kane, was. Based on his life, it is not a true story. No. It, it doesn't even use him as a character. It's, it's very, very loosely based. Very loosely based on his life. Um, so what the movie is uh, is about a newspaper giant. It was, it was about him starting off with nothing and gaining everything and basically letting it corrupt him. Mm-hmm. It is one of my favorite kinds of movies. I call them rise and fall movies. Wolf of Wall Street is another one. Started with nothing, built a massive empire, and it basically imploded on him. Right? Mm -hmm. I love these kind of movies, and Citizen Kane is the original. It is a great movie. It was directed by Orson Welles. And stars him. And stars him. Uh, he plays him himself yep. originally in terms of his age, and they they age him up throughout the movie. Yep. On Blu-ray, you can see the makeup, you can see the lines, but still, it's still very good makeup. Yes. Uh, and if you sort of look past the edges of it around his neck, it looks great. It is a great movie. It is not the best movie ever made, like people tend to claim that it is. Yes. But it's still a good movie. You should still totally watch it. It is totally watchable, uh, even this day and age. Yes. You know, it's not like, oh, this movie was made in the 40s. What is it, like, fucking tap dancing and, like, Mary Poppins and shit? No. It's a really fucking good drama, great acting, great direction, mm, ah, gorgeous cinematography, Yes. gorgeous black and white cinematography. It's a far cry from the shitty film that you may think it is because it was made in the 40s. Yeah. Now, being disjointed, I think we should continue now that we've explained it. Why this oh, media yeah. okay, mo- this ahead. newspaper mogul was so upset with this movie. So, he saw this movie in a pre-release and he went, "Wait a minute. Holy shit, that's me. He's making fun of me." Yeah. So in his paper and to everybody he knew, he told him, don't see this movie. This guy is a slanderous fuck and basically trash this movie's reputation. Yeah. And so from that, nobody saw this movie when it came out. Everybody who knew of it hated it without seeing it. And the film industry pretty much ignored its existence up till the 70s. Which is the sad, depressing truth of Orson Welles' whole career, actually. Yeah. Most of his movies were just straight up ignored when they came out, but now he's hailed as one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Mm-hmm. And I would agree, Like, even though I wouldn't say that Citizen Kane is the best movie ever made, it's, it's not, it's just not. Mm-hmm. I would say Orson Welles is probably one of the greatest filmmakers to ever live. Yes. So, yes, this movie is available on Blu-ray. I think you can get it on your standard run-of-the-mill Blu-ray. You can get it in a digi book, which comes... It's a very nice digi book. It's the one that I have. It comes with a documentary on the real guy that we were just talking about. 
along with a lot of behind the scenes making of stuff. And it also comes in a like big box set thing. Oh yes, the massive box set, which is what I originally wanted, but I could not find when I was trying to buy it, so I ended up just buying the digi book. But the transfer is phenomenal. It looks great in the digi book. I I can't speak for the the standard release Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Um but I would assume that the big box set is the same transfer as the DigiBook. Uh, or maybe it's better. Who Ooh. knows? Now, when you get the movie, you will notice that it is in 4x3. It's full yep. screen because it was unmatted. That's It's not actually 4x3. It's it's that weird, like, in between original aspect ratio of 35 millimeter that I, I do not remember mm-hmm. what it's called right now. But it's, it's unmatted 35 mil aspect ratio. Don't let that deter you. Yeah. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, just go watch this movie. Oh, you for, you forgot yep. to say how um, Dawn of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead uh, is available. This because this uh, is it's a this clusterfuck, yo. This one's tricky because, uh, you know, we just got Night of the Living Dead on Criterion. Is Dawn it out of, yet? Is it yes. out yet? Okay. That sweet. came out like two weeks ago. Okay, cool. I'm going to have to grab that when yes. I can. Do not buy it from Z. It's $36 there. Buy it from Amazon. <laughs> How much is it on Amazon? It's like $25, I think. Cool. It's like $10 cheaper. Anyways, Dawn of the Dead. You can easily find the Snyder version on Blu-ray. Yep. The blue, the original version on Blu-ray and on DVD is a little tougher to find because the Blu-ray version had one run, and it's gone. Okay, so really quickly, um, George Romero... Yes. had a bad run of his movies being uh, easily found. Yes. You can't find most of, like, stuff like Diary of the Dead you can find, yeah. but his original, like, good stuff. The Crazies is a, l- is a little easier to find, well, the okay. original. The Crazies is included in a pack of three movies exactly. at, uh, what was it, Arrow released them? Yes, it was Arrow releasing them. It was between Night and Dawn. Yeah, it's called Between Night and Dawn, and it includes the th- crazies and two other films. And two that I other don't movies, I don't remember what they're called. But the the dead movies, so Night of the Living Dead. Well, Night of the Living Dead is in public domain, yes, so you it can is. fucking find it everywhere. Yeah. Oh, those fucking fifty packs. Yeah, they, they all have them. <laughs> those horror fifty packs. Yep. They, yeah, every one of them has Night of the Living Dead. But also, Criterion just released it because it's in public domain. It's in public There's domain. There's nothing stopping them from but releasing it. But the remaster was supervised by George Romero. Yes, and in- includes extra footage. Yes, we actually Night we t- of the Anubis. Yeah, we talked about this yes. on a, a previous episode. Yeah, so yeah. the Criterion version of Night of the Living Dead looks absolutely great. Yes. But Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead, the copyright holder is somewhat of an asshat. As I understand, yeah, uh, it's uh, his son, right? I think. Is it his I, son? I don't remember who holds the copyright. Wh- whoever's holding the copyright is being incredibly stingy with it and asking for a fucking like absorbent amount of money. Yes. Uh, so nobody wants to touch it because nobody wants to pay that much for Night of the Living Dead or I'm sorry, Dawn, Dawn of, of the Dead, Dead and Day, Day of, of the Dead. Dead. So they're incredibly hard to find, yes. even on DVD. Even on DVD, it, I could not find it. For the life of me. The um, original prints of the Blu-ray go for yeah. like hundreds of dollars. Yes. DVDs, not that, not quite that much. And there are more DVDs than there are Blu-rays. Yes. But none of it's in print. No. 
So um, trying to <laughs> not find, even the VHS. <laughs> trying to find these movies is a fucking nightmare. Yes. So if you and see it anywhere, like, grab it. Like even to that end. Keep in mind, this was for educational purposes. I tried to find it by every means possible just to see how available it was. It is not even available via torrent anymore, via illegal means. It's not available. Nobody nobody kept it updated. It's not on DVD. It's not on Blu-ray. There is one other print of it, though, hmm. that is kind of difficult to find and is kind of expensive. It's on 4K Blu-ray. In Italy, in a five-disc edition. How much is it? It's like eighty dollars. It's not something that like bad. that. That's... I think it's going out of print, though. Oh my god! Because <laughs> I remember seeing that, and I was like, <clears throat> "I need this in my life." Because it, it includes like five different cuts of the film. Did you get it? I have not yet. I'm planning on getting it as soon as possible. So yeah, um, it's it's really sad because these are not movies that you would expect to be that hard to find they're sort of mm -hmm. they're they're like drive-in classics you know yes. everybody knows these movies but you can't fucking find them anywhere yeah, and that that goes with my point that not even illegally can you find them yeah like so, the internet has everything except for these movies <laughs> it, yeah it's it's ridiculous it is yeah i hate seeing movies go this way because mm -hmm. like even bad movies i hate seeing them unavailable yeah like it's really sad and and depressing in in a real way for me mm -hmm. to see like romero loved these movies like there, there's a real sense of love and passion that he yes. put into them and to see like them, even the bad ones even the bad ones and and to see them go like this uh, to be just unavailable anywhere including by illegal means uh, like you can't you can't download the fucker you can't rent it anywhere. Uh, if you find the disc, it's gonna cost hundreds of dollars. Yeah, you know it is almost impossible to find because some asshole wants too much money. Yeah, and the sad thing is that it used to be on Day of the Dead used to be on streaming on Netflix, mm. and they removed it two months ago. <sighs> like that I hate was something this world right now. Yeah, that was something where. I went to go find the movie to watch it because I was like, I haven't watched Day of the Dead in a long while. And I'm like, where the fuck did it go? And I looked up the now entering and leaving Netflix and it had left the week before. Mm. And I don't think Dawn of the Dead is available anymore for renting on DVD from them or Day of the Dead. Yeah. It's it's just deeply sad to me. Yeah. Anyway... On that cheerful note. Yeah, we uh, had our ups and downs in this episode. It's true. This episode's been all over the place. But All right. So we hope you have enjoyed the eighth episode of the Watts podcast. We hope you have found it informative or found something entertaining in yep. it. And we hope you'll join us for the next yes. one. I hope you came with us on the journey of ups and downs as well. Yeah, you know, getting happy at the happy parts, getting sad at the sad parts. You know, we we formed a narrative, and uh, uh, naturally... it was a clusterfuck. That's what the narrative was. <laughs> yeah, honestly. and okay, so we should we need to start doing this at the end of episodes. Also, mm. you can find us on 
YouTube, YouTube Castbox, Castbox, and iTunes. iTunes. We are not on SoundCloud because SoundCloud wanted to charge us. Yep. <laughs> so, um, if we can figure something out with SoundCloud, we may be up there in the future. But mm-hmm. for now, do not look for us on SoundCloud. Do not tell your friends to look for us on SoundCloud. Do not go to SoundCloud. <laughs> do not give them your business. Um, they fucked us, so you fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> go, our our minions, of which we have none. Yeah, all um, three people listening. <laughs> <laughs> But again, we are on iTunes, CastBox, and YouTube, all under the Watts Podcast. You should be able to find us pretty easily. We thank you for listening, (laughs) and we hope you will join us for the next one. Yes. And hopefully we'll have something very entertaining next time as well. We won't. Goodbye.